Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analysing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're looking at chapters 16, 17 and 18 of Divergent. So where we left off, it was visiting day. She saw her mum. Her mum was like, oh, hey, honey, and dropping clues that she's dauntless. Just real dropping them. No discretion about her at all. And she's also like, oh, can you get Caleb to research the simulation serum? Just dropping so many hints. What else happened? She beat up Molly. That's, a, that's about all else happened before visiting day. And we start this chapter, chapter 16, and it's later that day. And she goes back to the dormitory and she sees Al sitting on the bed. Remember, Al had gone missing. He was MIA. And I was like, oh, is Al dead? <laughs> but he's not dead. And Tris says, there you are. Your parents were looking for you. Did they find you? And he shakes his head. And I was like, they can't have been looking that hard if they didn't even check the dorm where his room is. He was sitting on his bed that whole time. They didn't think to go and look in his bedroom. But Al shakes his head. He's like, I didn't want to see them because then they'd ask how I'm doing and I'd have to tell them and they would know if I was lying. Because he's candor, he can't lie. It's just something that he can't do. But later on in the next couple of chapters, we do find out that candor people are trained to read body language to know when someone's lying. So he he sort of has a point. But in saying that, if he's also been trained to detect body language tells, then surely he could just not exhibit those body language features that that signal that you're lying. You know, uh, Al, just try a little bit harder with your lies. And she's like, why are you so bummed out, Al? And then Al's like, dad always wanted me to come here. I mean, they said they wanted me to stay in candor, but that's only because that's what they're supposed to say. They've always admired the Dauntless, both of them. They wouldn't understand if I tried to explain it to them. So he's trying to convince us that both of his parents secretly want to be Dauntless and they want his son to be Dauntless to fulfill the dreams that they were never able to fulfill. They had their own choosing ceremony. They could have just picked Dauntless. I don't feel sorry for you, Al's parents. If you wanted to be Dauntless that bad, you'd just go and be Dauntless. And then Al's like, I just wanted to be dauntless because they're meant to protect people, not hurt people. And she remembers what Four said about how teamwork used to be a dauntless priority. And she says, what were the dauntless like when it was? And I'm thinking like, Four's been there for two years. How does Four know so much about 
the past in Dauntless? Or is he just referring to two years ago? And Triss is thinking, wow, I wonder what it was like two years ago, so long ago. A huge cultural shift has happened within Dauntless in the past two years. And then they talk about how the first stage rankings are getting released that afternoon. And so they're just sitting next to each other in silence. She's sort of doing it out of selflessness to keep him company. And he says, I feel braver when I'm around you, like I could actually fit in here the same way you do. And then he puts his arm around her shoulders and she's like, oh no, now I've got a friend zone this guy. So she leans forward so his arm drops off of her shoulders and he's like, oh, sorry about that. And she's like, oh, part of it is that she wants to friend zone him. Another part of it is that she's just not used to physical touch. She says she's trained herself to pull away from all gestures of affection. Even though last chapter we saw her hug her mother. (laughs) But no, she's trained herself not to touch people. And so she decides to just play him off and be like, oh, what's that? What are you talking about? But it's super awkward. So she's like, you know what? You'll be fine. And then she leaves and she's like, ugh. But as she's leaving, she touches a hand to her forehead and grins a little. And she says, awkwardness aside, it is nice to be liked. So that's an odd message that we're sending to to young female readers of the book. (laughs) Yes, you might have a friend perpetrate unwanted sexual advances towards you, but it's it's nice to have some attention, isn't it? So then apparently at dinner, she says, discussing our family visits would be too painful. So our final rankings for stage one are all anyone can talk about that night. Too painful. Why so? Everyone seemed to be having a great time when you were down in the pit with them all. Everyone's making lovely, lovely memories with their family. Like just don't have visiting day if it's such a big fucking deal. And so she's thinking about her rank. She's like, oh, I didn't beat Molly. So it might've improved a little bit. Hopefully I'm just not at the bottom and I'm in the top 10. Because remember the bottom ones get kicked out to go be factionless. And then there's a lull at their table and they're sitting next to Peter, Drew and Molly, the bullies. And she says, when conversation at our table reaches a lull, I hear every word they say. They are speculating about the ranks. (laughs) What a surprise. It's like, you were just talking about the ranks too. Why are you being so shady about them having the same conversation that you're having? And then Christina and Will are having a little bit of a fight because she wants a dog, but Will's like, ugh, he was born in Erudite and they don't have pets. He says, what's the point in providing food and shelter for an animal that just soils your furniture, makes your home smell bad and ultimately dies? Very logical. So Erudite aren't allowed pets. Why would anyone be erudite? That's ridiculous. That's the most ridiculous rule. Like abnegation, not looking in a mirror. Okay, I can accept that. Candor, learning about body language, sure makes sense. Even Dauntless all having tattoos and piercings. I'm like, okay, I can get on board with that. But erudite, you're not allowed pets? Who would want to be a part of your little faction? I'd rather be factionless with a dog than be in a faction without a dog. That's my opinion. But then Christina, she sort of is like, oh, well, dogs are sort of ruined for us, you know, after the aptitude test. And everyone's like, oh, we're not meant to be talking about that. But then they talk about it anyway. And Will's like, oh, you mean killing the dog, right? And Triss is thinking, oh, shit, yeah. Those with an aptitude for Dauntless picked up the knife in the simulation and stabbed the dog when it attacked. Apparently they all did this. If they didn't do that, then they wouldn't be in Dauntless. And then Triss is fidgeting because she's feeling awkward. She's like, oh, I don't want them to find out I'm divergent. She's like, I actually laid down and stared at the dog. (laughs) 
which, which no faction does because that's ridiculous. And Christina, because she's trained in candor in finding body language cues, she's like, you're hiding something. You didn't kill the dog. And Tris is being super obvious. She's oh, scratching the back of her neck. You know, she's not making eye contact. She's wiping the hair off her face. And I'm like, can you just steady your movements for a second and just lie, please? And eventually she admits, she says, no, I didn't kill the dog. And they're like, well, how are you in Dauntless if you didn't use the knife? And she says, oh no, I, um, I got abnegation. And she says, it's half true. Tori did report my results as abnegation in the system. So if anyone looked it up, you know, cause Will and Christina have that capability, but if anyone looked it up, they would see abnegation was written. So she's like, yeah, you know, I just, I, I got told I was more apt for abnegation, but I picked Dauntless anyway. And they're like, why? And she's like, for the food. (laughs) And then Christina's like, oh my God, did you guys hear about how on our first day, Tris didn't know what a hamburger was? And then she starts telling the hamburger story to to Will and Al as if it's the most interesting story ever. And I was like, Will and Al were there. Why do they care about this story that, that they lived? So then they go back to their dormitory. It's time to reveal the rankings. And four is standing there with a chalkboard He hasn't written on the chalkboard yet. He's like, oh, well, let me just info dump you how the level system works. And even though he explains it, it still doesn't make any sense to me. This is what he says. After the first round of fights, we ranked you according to your skill level. The number of points you earn depends on your skill level and the skill level of the person you beat. You earn more points for improving and more points for beating someone of a high skill level. I don't reward preying on the weak. That is cowardice. And he's looking at Peter on that last line. He's like, you hear that, Peter? And if you have a high rank, you lose points for losing to a low ranked opponent. And at this point, Molly, remember, because she just gotten beaten up by Triss, she lets out an unpleasant noise, like a snort or a grumble, which I imagine sounds something like a... (laughs) And then apparently stage two of training is weighted more heavily than stage one, because it's more closely tied to overcoming cowardice. But having said that, it is extremely difficult to rank high at the end of initiation if you rank low in stage one. I think this is all a smokescreen. I just think they're just ranking willy-nilly, like it's the game of the circle, and they have to rank who's going to be top influencer of the week. And it sort of feels to me like Triss has an advantage, because after that first fight, she was obviously ranked really low with her skill level, So whenever she wins, she's always beating someone of a higher skill level. So she's always going to be improving. And they're like, oh, it's not easy to improve. And I was like, it's, it's designed for people to improve. That's, that's my reading of it. And tomorrow they're going to announce who gets cut. (laughs) Even though they're, they're giving us a ranking in order, but apparently four of them are going to get cut, but that's including the Dauntless Born as well. So it could just be a couple of our little initiate group that we've been getting to know. So the rankings are number one, Edward. Do, do we know who Edward is? <laughs> Have we spent much time with Edward? I can't remember. Then Peter, Will, Christina, Molly, Tris, Drew, Al, Myra. And she's like, six, I'm six. I can't believe it. Beating Molly must have boosted my rank more than I thought it would. Yes, as explained by four, I do believe that is how rankings work. Even though Molly's still beating her in the overall ranking, Molly must have beaten someone else up who was better than her. Ugh, how dumb. And she's like, oh, it's good that Al isn't dead last, but unless the Dauntless Born initiates also completely failed, 
then he's cut and he's factionless. <laughs> what a rough trot for Al. And everyone's frowning at the board. Triss narrates it in a way that's like everyone's so confused about how Triss is six and she's not dead last. And I just don't know if everyone in that room is just obsessed with Triss like she thinks they are. But she's like, oh, Christine is tilting her head at the board. She isn't the only one. The room is quiet and uneasy. And then Molly, she goes, what? And she points at Christina and she's like, I beat her. I beat her in minutes and she's ranked above me. So it's like, yeah, Tris, they're talking about Christina. They're not talking about you. And Four's just like, yeah, whatever. If you don't want to come last, don't lose to low ranked opponents. This ranking system, I, I, I just don't have any trust in it. And then Molly's staring at Tris and she's like, you are going to pay for this. It's like, calm down, Molly. You're, you're not even last, you're fifth. You're in a great position, so just calm the fuck down. And then Molly walks out of the room and she's like, oh no, leaving means she wants to plan something. Leaving means I have to be on my guard. And I'm like, maybe she just needs to go to the toilet. It's not all about you. Even though she did just threaten your life, it's not all about you. And also Peter, who came second to Edward, he's not saying anything. And she's like, that's surprising because he usually complains a lot. But he just goes to his bunk and sits down. And she's like, that makes me feel even more uneasy. He can't possibly be satisfied with second place. Not Peter. So really heavy handed foreshadowing that Peter's going to do something. Like she's really making that obvious, isn't she? So then her and Christina and Will, they go and like celebrate in the hallway. And she says, oh, it's easy to forget about Peter's suspicious calm. Has there ever been more foreshadowing this heavy handed? Why are you obsessed with Peter? And then that night, she says she has trouble falling asleep. And she's really just thinking about how her mother is dauntless. And she's thinking, I wonder if someone here knew her back when she was dauntless and they would tell me what she was like back then. And then she says, even if they did, they probably wouldn't want to discuss her. Faction transfers are not really supposed to discuss their old factions once they become members. It's like, yeah, that's why she wouldn't talk about it. But that doesn't stop anyone in Dauntless currently from talking about her just because she left Dauntless. And then she's wondering why her mum told her to go ask Caleb about the simulation serum. But then she hears a scuffling and she looks up, but it's pitch black. And then she hears the squeak of a shoe and a heavy thud and then a blood curdling scream. And someone's like, turn on the lights. She hears a thud. She walks towards the sound of the screaming and then the lights come on and there's Edward lying on the floor with a knife stabbed into his eyeball. And I was like, woohoo, this book's finally getting good. And so Triss is there because, you know, she's abnegation. So she's practically a nurse. She's standing there and she's holding him down and he's like, pull it out, pull it out. And she's like, lie still. We can't pull the knife out. We need to wait until the nurse comes. And he's like, get it out, get it out, get it out. And she... (laughs) She shakes her head and then realizes that he can't see her, you know, because he's got a knife in his eyeball. And then she laughs. She says, a laugh bubbles in my stomach. (laughs) It's not funny, Triss. So she's there trying to comfort him. Eventually a nurse arrives and she's like, step back, Triss. So she gets up, her hands and knees are soaked with blood. She's looking around and she sees that only two faces are missing, Drew and Peter. So I don't know why she mentioned Drew was missing as well. Are we meant to, is he, is he a red herring? Because the fact that she said Drew full stop, new paragraph and Peter full stop, 
I kind of get the impression that you suspect that it's Peter. You were really laying it on thick that it's Peter, so Peter, what an overreaction. And also, I think it's a bad tactical move. They said a hundred times, you want to be able to beat people who are higher ranked than you. So by Peter murdering Edward, or at least maiming Edward, you now don't have an opportunity to beat someone who's higher ranked than you and improve your own ranking. So now if you're at the top of the ranking, you've got nowhere to go but down because when someone beats you, then they'll be better than you. Peter, you're not thinking clearly. Oh, and also it was a butter knife. I feel like I need to make that known. Peter apparently stole a butter knife from the dining hall and shoved that into his eye. So, ugh. I'd almost rather it be like a proper knife, but a butter knife that makes it so much more gruesome somehow. So they take Edward away. She gets changed. She throws her soiled pants in the trash. She's always throwing her clothes into the trash. It's called a laundry, Tris. And she talks to Christina and Christina's like, you know who did that, right? And she's like, yep. (laughs) And they're all like classic Peter, but they decide not to say anything because they think there'll be repercussions against them if they tell someone about Peter stabbing Edward in the eye. So then Triss is left to scrub the blood off the floor. I don't know why it's her job, but she's like, it's a selfless act. It makes me feel close to my mother. And then it's the next day. And that's obviously what they're all talking about. I mean, someone got stabbed in the eye last night in their dorm room. You're gonna talk about it. And he's still alive, but he's in hospital. And Will's like, we could go visit him, but what would we say? I'm sorry you got stabbed in the eye. And she says, it isn't funny. I know that as soon as he says it, but a laugh rises in my throat anyway. She's laughing again at poor Edward. I think she's a sociopath. It can't be that natural of a reaction to just laugh when someone gets stabbed in the eye. And again, they talk about whether or not they should dob Peter in. And she thinks no one who would want to punish Peter has the authority to. And no one who has the authority to punish him would want to. I, I don't know where she's getting that from. Are the Dauntless really that heartless? I mean, they did, they did let that girl fall off of a building to her death on day one. So maybe she has a point, but I just don't know why she's so steadfast in just assuming that no one would punish Peter. And she's like, it's ironic. It would be brave of us in any other faction to tell someone what happened, but in Dauntless, bravery won't do us any good. And then Will's like, you know what? In the faction manifestos, which I've read, the Dauntless say, we believe in ordinary acts of bravery in the courage that drives one person to stand up for another. And she's thinking, wow, Dauntless really isn't like that anymore. And then she's thinking, well, it's sort of just like erudite. They wanted to pursue knowledge for the sake of doing good, but now they just pursue knowledge with greedy hearts. And she says, I wonder if the other factions suffer from the same problem. I think they might, Triss. It's almost like dividing up a society based on one character trait is a bad idea. And then she's like, well, despite the depravity, I'd still rather be dauntless than factionless. I wouldn't want to live in complete isolation. And I was like, it's not isolation. There's hundreds and thousands of factionless people just roaming the streets. You've got heaps of buddies. So they go get breakfast and then later they go back to the dorms. Edward's bed is stripped and so's Myra's because she quit. They were like, well, she would have been cut anyway, but she wanted to go with Edward. I guess they were the ones that were dating and kissing and Triss was uncomfortable. And conveniently, now that they've left and two other Dauntless Born initiates have left, they've been cut. 
Al is safe for another day. How convenient. And she ends this chapter by saying, we started stage one with nine initiates. Now we have seven. And I was like, well, you, you sort of started with 10. There was the girl that fell to her death, but okay, sure. And then we go to chapter 17. And she can't sleep at night because, you know, a guy got stabbed in the eye last night. So she's just hanging out in the hallway. And then she hears people approaching and there's a group of dauntless people. Well, obviously they're dauntless. Everyone's dauntless. And there's Uriah as well, who was on her capture the flag team. Oh, and sorry, it's not, it's not nighttime. It's noon lunchtime. So she must have the day off. So she's just hanging out in some random hallway. God, how boring, Tris. Go and get another tattoo or something. Don't just go sitting in a hallway. Anyway, Uriah is like, oh, I heard about that guy, Edward, getting stabbed in the eye. What are you doing at the moment? You want to get out of here? And she's like, what? Where are you going? And he's like, oh, it's a little initiation ritual. Come on. And she's like, okay. (laughs) So she's like, why not? So she gets up and starts walking with them. And she's like, what exactly are we doing? And he says, something dangerous. And then one of his mates is like, "Ugh, what's the stiff doing here? And they're like, she just saw a guy get stabbed in the eye. Can we give her a break? (laughs) So then they leave the compound. They're running for the train that doesn't stop. And she keeps asking Uriah questions and she's not getting great answers. She's like, where are we going? And he's like, ah, Zeke never told me. And she's like, who's Zeke? And he says, it's my older brother. And she looks over and she sees Zeke and he is slight and short and looks nothing like Uriah apart from his coloring. Oh, Veronica, 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 you really, you really need to stop talking about people's coloring. Uh, Just the word coloring, look, ugh. And then she meets this chick called Shauna and she shakes hands with Shauna and she thinks she didn't grip hard enough and she let go too quickly. She says, I doubt I will ever improve my handshake. It feels unnatural to grasp hands with strangers. You know what? It's not that hard. A little bit of practice will go a long way to learn how to shake a hand. Like for fuck's sake, it's not that hard. You're throwing knives, you're fighting people, you're shooting paintball guns and capturing flags and climbing Ferris wheels and you can't shake a hand? Like grow up. Anyway, Shauna, she's like, oh, I know about you, you're the stiff. Four told me about you. And she's like, four, what did he say? And Shauna's like, oh, you know, this and that. And she keeps asking Shauna like random questions about four. She's like, oh, did you know him well? And she says, yes, we were initiates together. I was bad at fighting. So he taught me every night after everyone was asleep. It was nice of him. And she's like, wow, four being nice. She says she was half confused by the idea of four being nice and half wanting to punch her for no apparent reason. You got the hots for four, Tris. I can't wait until you realize that. And then the train doesn't slow down, but they must be where they need to go. So they all start throwing themselves out of the moving train and then they're jogging into the abandoned part of the city. She says, we turn a corner and spread out as we walk down Michigan Ave. South of the bridge, Michigan Avenue is a busy street crawling with people, but here it is bare. I'm like, okay, thank you for the tour of Chicago. Like, is it still called Michigan Avenue in in this day and age? And then she looks up at the skyline to see the building that they're heading to. And she's like, oh, it's the empty Hancock building the tallest building north of the bridge. Again, why do you know all this stuff? Why do you know it's called a Hancock building? Like when was it last known as the Hancock building? A hundred years ago? So they get to the bottom of the building. One of the doors is smashed and there's glass everywhere. So they just walk through the broken frame of the doorway. Yeah, because it's an abandoned building. And then what do they do? They stop at the elevator bank to go and use the elevator. 
And Zeke makes a random comment being like, of course I came here earlier and turned on the emergency generator so that I could power up the elevators. Like, obviously, obviously. So even if there is a random emergency generator that still has power, you're trusting that the elevator will work to go up this skyscraper? None of the cabling in the elevator go rusty. The doors still work. The buttons all still work. Okay, sure. So they get into the elevator. They pile in. Some other girl with a shaved head stomps on Triss's toes on the way in. (laughs) They're so mean to her. And then that girl who stepped on her foot says, what floor? And Triss says, 100. And she says, how would you know that? And she says, we're in a 100 story abandoned building with some dauntless. Why don't you know that? Okay, I appreciate the attitude you're giving to the girl that just stomped on your foot, but also it was a valid question. How do you know that there's a hundred floors? Is it just because there's a hundred buttons and you're just assuming it's the hundredth floor that you're going to? I don't know. Why do you know so much about this building that you've never been to in your whole entire life? But yep, she's right. They go up to the hundredth floor and she says, I'm glad we didn't take the stairs. Well, yes, of course you're glad you didn't take the stairs. It'd take you all night to walk up that building and get to the hundredth floor. Why would you take the stairs? Well, actually, you would take the stairs because the elevator is probably in disrepair. Okay, let's move on. So they get to the hundredth floor. There's a huge gaping hole in the ceiling. (laughs) And there's a strong wind hitting her. Yeah, the building's in disrepair, but the elevator works. Sure, sure, sure. And then there's a ladder up into the roof. So they go onto the roof. It's really, it's really windy. Like this is a, this is a big, tall building. It's a skyscraper. And she's like, for the first time, I've wondered what the hell I'm doing here. (laughs) And she's like, oh, it sort of reminds me of climbing the Ferris wheel. And I was like, this is kind of more high up than the Ferris wheel. But that makes her remember Four's fingers on her hip. You know, when she missed a step at the Ferris wheel ladder. Oh, she's got the hots for Four. So she gets on the roof. She sees the never ending marsh on one side and the city on the other side. And Uriah points to something and attached to one of the poles on top of the tower is a steel cable. And on the ground is a pile of black slings made of tough fabric, large enough to hold a human being. And so Zeke grabs one, attaches it to a pulley that hangs from the steel cable. And the cable goes down over a cluster of buildings and along Lakeshore Drive. And she doesn't know where it ends. And she's like, oh my God. We're going to slide down a steel cable in a black sling from 1,000 feet up. <sighs> As if this would ever happen. Where, where did all these slings come from? Who brought them up to the top of the building? Who first discovered that this was a fun idea? How did the cable get, get strung up onto the pole and then, and then down into the middle of the city? Like, who, who rigged this up? It's so implausible. But, yep, that's what happens. So, one by one, they start loading people up into slings and then slinging them down, down the cable to God knows wherever a hundred stories down. And she's like, none of the dauntless people seem afraid. She can't believe it. (laughs) I mean, that's literally their gimmick to, to not be afraid of things, but yeah, sure. Yeah. How, how could they be so unafraid? But those are the ones that have passed initiation. She looks at some of the other people who are initiates like her and they're pale and worried. So the other people must have done it before. They're like, oh, this is fine. And you know what? If they survived the elevator trip up the abandoned building, the emergency generator powered elevator, like if you survived that risk, sure, you may as well slide down a cable to your death 
It's probably just as safe as going back into the elevator to go down. Why not? So then it's her turn to get into the sling. She's really scared stiff. Pardon the pun. And they're still calling her stiff, by the way. They're like, ready, stiff. And then Uriah's like, don't call her stiff. She's dauntless. Ugh. So they push her down. She starts going down the cable really quite quickly. And she's terrified at first, but then she starts to love it. Who could have seen that coming? She feels every vein and every fiber, every bone and every nerve all awake and buzzing in her body as if charged with electricity. She says, I am pure adrenaline. Blah, blah, blah. She goes down and waiting at the bottom are the seven people who went before her and they all grasp one another's arms, forming a net of limbs beneath her. And in order to get down, she has to just drop and trust that they'll catch her. And she says, trusting them is a braver act than sliding down the zip line. And I'm thinking, no, what's, what's more brave is being the first couple of people. When there's no net of limbs to catch you, how did Shauna get down? She was the first one. Did she just fall? Like Veronica, cute little scene idea, but like, did you think it through? Like you can tell she was sort of like, you know what? This book's going to get made into a movie one day and this will be a great little cinematic scene. But realistically, this has never fucking happened. Is, is a cable to nowhere? Where does the cable go? We don't know. She's just dangling where she's lost momentum and she's at 20 feet above the ground and now she's just got to drop to the ground. And the cable just c- continues on. Where did they find a cable this long? So she jumps down there all laughing, congratulating her. And they're like, how did you like it, Stiff? And she says, when can I go again? And they all laugh. And then she watches all the other people start coming down. And Shauna says, pretty sure we can't call you stiff anymore. Triss. Oh, she finally belongs in the Dauntless. What a heartwarming moment. And then she's back in the cafeteria later that day. And she's with her little crowd of Dauntless buddies. She's just one of the gang. And then her friends, Christina, Allen, Will, they're like, what the fuck? Where have you been? Why didn't you tell us? What's the deal? And she's like trying to downplay it. She's like, oh, they didn't really want me to be there. But Uriah from Catch of the Flag, he invited me along and I didn't know what it was, but it was really fun. And Al's like, well, you missed out on Christina almost punching an erudite guy. He was here asking for opinions about the abnegation leadership. And Christina told him there were more important things for him to be doing. And Will says, which she was completely right about. And he got testy with her. Big mistake. And she says, huge. And I was like, okay, you're quoting pretty woman. Big mistake, big, huge. So she buries that little tidbit, but it is interesting to note that an erudite official was at the Dauntless HQ asking questions about abnegation. Remember that for later. So we end that chapter with her saying, it's the first time I've been really eager to be one of the Dauntless, which means I have to survive the next stage of initiation. And you know what? I don't think it is the first time you've ever been eager to be one of them. I sort of think when you were at high school staring at them jumping off trains, you were kind of eager to be one of them. I think when you chose to be one of them, you were kind of eager to be one of them. But sure, sure, sure. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So we start chapter 18. They're in a room. They're sitting there about to start the second stage of initiation and no one knows what's going on. And she's sitting with the Dauntless Born initiates now because the Dauntless Born and the transfers, they're all being trained together from this point on. And so they're sort of bonding and she's talking to someone called Linda and she says that Uriah's ranked first and they're sort of bragging about how many years they've spent preparing and Will's like, don't you think it's a little unfair that you've spent your whole life getting ready for this and we're expected to learn it all in a few weeks? And they're like, nah, not really because stage one, yeah, that's fair enough. That was all about skills that we've developed. But stage two, no one knows what it's about and no one can prepare for it. So they're all getting called into a room one by one by four, one by one by four. I hate that she named a character four, by the way, because sometimes I'm listening back when I'm editing. And when I say four, I'm in my head picturing the word four, F-O-R. And I'm like, what am I talking about? And then I'm like, oh, wait, a character is called four. Oh, it's so dumb. How did he pick that nickname? I really want to know. Of all the names he could have picked, he could have been a Jeff. He could have been like a Zach or a Tristan. All these cool names. You know what? His name was Tobias. He could have just been Toby. He could have just shortened his name to Toby, but he said, you know what? Call me four and I'll confuse everyone listening to my name be mentioned on an audio platform. So if you're ever listening and you're like, what's he talking about? Who's, who's going to what for? What for what? Just know that I'm talking about for the character and not the time of day or not the number four, you know? Ugh. So they're all waiting one by one. She's nervous. Eventually it's her turn. 
she goes into the room and she almost recoils because she sees what's inside and it's a metal chair similar to the one that she sat in during the aptitude test. And beside it is a familiar machine. So it's the same sort of simulation machine that she did for the aptitude test. And four says, it's a face your fears simulation. We take that literally. The simulation will teach you to control your emotions in the midst of a frightening situation. So she sits down, he starts rigging her up and she's like, oh, do you ever administer the aptitude tests? And he says, no, I avoid stiffs as much as possible. And she's like, why would anybody hate abnegation so much? And so she says, why? And he's like, oh my God, do you really think I'm going to answer you that? She's always asking him questions and he's just always giving vague responses. And she calls him out. She says, why do you say vague things if you don't want to be asked about them? And he's like, ugh. So he just brushes her off. And then he has a syringe. It's a long needle filled with orange liquid. And she's like, oh, an injection. And he says, yeah, we use a more advanced version of the simulation here, a different serum. No wires or electrodes for you. He says, I have wires so I can see what's going on. But for you, there's a tiny transmitter in the serum that sends data to the computer. So this is why anti-vaxxers think that the vaccine has microchips in it and 5G transmitters because of books like this that say that that's possible. There's a tiny transmitter in the serum that sends data to the computer. Somewhere out there, an anti-vaxxer just got a boner because they were like, I knew it. And then he puts the needle into her neck and shoots her up. I don't know why it had to be the neck. I'd be like, can you put it in my arm? Maybe even my butt, somewhere fleshy. Don't be putting it in my neck. And he says the serum will go into effect in 60 seconds. This is different from the aptitude test. In addition to containing the transmitter, the serum stimulates the amygdala, which is the part of the brain involved in processing negative emotions like fear, and then induces a hallucination. The brain's electrical activity is then transmitted to our computer, which then translates your hallucination into a simulated image that I can see and monitor. I will then forward the recording to the Dauntless administrators whilst you stay in the hallucination until you calm down. That is, lower your heart rate and control your breathing. Again, I call bullshit. I just, I just don't think that this technology is well thought out or could ever happen. Although who knows, I'm double vaxxed, so I might, I might be in the same situation as Tris. Who knows? So he says, be brave, Tris. The first time is always the hardest. And then she's under and she's standing in a field of dry grass that comes up to her waist. Again, it's all very cinematic, but basically her fear that is coming through to her is getting pecked alive by crows. And so she just starts getting attacked by all of these different crows, just like swooping her and trying to attack her. At one point, one of the birds puts their head in her mouth and so she bites down on it. And I think she decapitates the bird with her teeth and she's got to spit the bird neck out. It's, it's quite gross. And she's panicked. She is twisting and flailing and screaming and sobbing. She's saying, help, help, four, help me, help me, help me. And I was actually kind of relieved that it was just birds. You know what? When he said, we're going to trigger a fear hallucination in you, I was like, oh no. What if her fear is being found out that she's divergent and it's just someone being like, hey, you're divergent in her hallucination and then Dauntless HQ see that? Like that's, that was where my anxiety was, but now it's just birds. And I'm like, you can handle birds, Tris. Like you've never even mentioned that you have a fear of birds before now. But here we are in chapter 18 or whatever. And you're like, oh, by the way, I have a fear of birds. Anyway, she's getting pecked alive. 
Her skin is searing. She's bleeding. They're squawking. And she's like, help, help. And I'm like, ah, you're not asleep. See, like if it was like when you're asleep and you're dreaming and it's a nightmare and you don't know that you're in a nightmare, then I can sort of get why you're, you're panicked and indulging in the fear and then like feeding on the fear. But she went into this knowing that she was going to be in a simulation. So just, just tell yourself, oh, it's a simulation. Like, I, I know you could be panicked for a little bit, but like, calm down. She should be in the right mental headspace for this. I, I, anyway, she does eventually calm down. After pages and pages of description of her getting packed by these birds, she eventually starts relaxing one muscle at a time, resigning herself to becoming a pecked carcass. And then she opens her eyes and she's in the chair. And Four's like, oh, are you okay? And he puts his hand on her and she's like, don't touch me. And she's super pissed off at him. And he's like, Tris, calm down. I'm going to take you back to the dorms, okay? And she's like, no, you can't do that. I can't have anyone see me like this. She's still all like emotional and she's trembling. She's feeling weak. But Four's like, I'll take you around the back way. So he gets her up. They're walking down the hallway in silence. And she says to him, why'd you do that to me? What was the point? I wasn't aware that when I chose Dauntless, I was signing up for weeks of torture. And I'm really proud of her for standing up for herself. I will say Triss is a much better character than Bella Swan or Anastasia Steele or Laura Le Polish Girl, whatever that person was from 365 Days. She's, she's got more backbone. She's got more spunk. She's just not an idiot most of the time. So I actually quite appreciate Triss as a character. I will give Veronica Roth that. And Four's like, well, did you think overcoming cowardice would be that easy? And she's like, this isn't overcoming cowardice. Cowardice is how you decide to be in real life. And in real life, I'm not getting pecked to death by crows. <laughs> Which is a great point. Why are they doing this? And she's crying and she's like, ugh, I still don't want to be factionless. <laughs> so she just stops crying and tries to, you know, be strong. And he says, learning how to think in the midst of fear is a lesson that everyone, even your stiff family, needs to learn. That's what we're trying to teach you. If you can't learn it, you'll need to get the hell out of here because we won't want you. Learning how to think in the midst of fear. Uh, you just stand around a fence all day. They're always like, oh, we won't want you in this unless you're the hardest, toughest person. I'm like, what, to guard a fence? Tell me what you guys are guarding and then maybe I'll be more on board with your extreme measures. But at the moment, I'm like, okay, you're just standing at a fence or you're just going to be a tattoo artist within the compound. Why do you really need to have such measures to eliminate fear from your lives, huh? And she's complaining. She's like, I'm trying, but I'm failing. And he's like, um, how long do you think you're in that hallucination? And she's like, I don't know, half an hour. And he says, three minutes. You got out three times faster than the other initiates. Whatever you are, you're not a failure. And tomorrow you'll be even better. You'll see. And she's thinking three minutes, that's quite good. But then she's also thinking, oh shit, tomorrow. So she's going to have to do it again. So this is just reinforcing that she's special. She's divergent. She's special. And he tells her, you know what? Becoming fearless isn't the point. What? I thought, I thought you just said it was. He says, that's impossible. It's learning how to control your fear and how to be free from it. That's the point. I think you're splitting hairs for, but sure, go off. But Triss is like, oh yeah, that makes sense. I used to think the Dauntless were fearless. That's how they seemed anyway. 
but maybe what I saw as fearless was actually fear under control. Just listen to that again. I used to think the Dauntless were fearless. Yeah, because that's what Dauntless means. They named themselves after a synonym for fearless. Look up the dictionary definition of Dauntless and it's like without fear. So yeah, I, I think you're forgiven for thinking that they're fearless. And then Four says, anyway, your fears are rarely what they appear to be in the simulation. And she's like, what do you mean? And he says, well, you aren't really afraid of crows, are you? And she's like, you know what? Now that you mention it, I'm not afraid of crows. And I was like, of course you're not, because you've never mentioned it. So I guess the crows pecking at her are a metaphor for like her being attacked or her insecurities about being found out about being divergent somehow. Unclear. And then she's leaning against the wall and she's just looking at four. And she's like, oh, there's six inches between us. And then she leans in so that there's less than six inches between them. And then she's like, I feel warmer. Like he's giving off some kind of energy. And I was like, oh, they're going to make out or something. But they don't. She says, I didn't know becoming Dauntless would be this difficult. And she's surprised that she's actually admitting that. And he says, you know what? It wasn't always like this. I'm told. And I was like, yeah, you've been told. You've been here for two years and you're acting like you were there a hundred years ago. And he says the leadership changed. The person who controls training sets the standard of dauntless behavior. Six years ago, Max and the other leaders changed the training methods to make them more competitive and brutal. So apparently this has all been changed in six years, but her mother a couple of chapters ago on visiting day was like, I know all about the dauntless initiation process. I know how ruthless it can be. I know about the ranking system, but allegedly more than six years ago, it was completely different. So I don't know how her mum got up to speed on the progress of the rankings and the trainings and the initiations in the past six years, but we'll just have to let that go. And so she's like, ah, Eric. And she says, hey, four, if you were ranked first in your initiate class, what was Eric's rank? And Eric was second. And she's like, ah, so he was their second choice for leadership and you were their first. And that explains why Eric's jealous of you. And he doesn't sort of admit that. He's just like, okay. It's like, yeah, Tris, way to think out loud. So then she sniffs, she wipes her eyes and she says, do I look like I've been crying? And he's staring at her and he goes, hmm, no, Tris, you look tough as nails. And that's the end of that chapter. So we're really getting... Well, we're not really getting anywhere with the Triss and Four relationship, but I think we're getting a bit closer. It does seem like he's a bit obsessed with her because he just stopped running the simulations for everyone else after Triss. Like she wasn't the last one in the room. There was a few other people waiting for their turn. And now Four's like on a break just to chat with Triss in the hallway. Meanwhile, Uriah's just sitting in the waiting room being like, God, Triss has taken a while. So if you have any questions, concerns, thoughts, theories, grievances, hit me up, let me know, share your thoughts. Uh, I'd love it if you could leave a rating or a review on your preferred podcasting platform. If you can, the reviews actually brighten my day. I did get one the other day and it was from Annabelle Kay. And she said, why do I do it in the whole wide world of great literature? Why do I return to making fun of trash? Am I a masochist? Am I secretly afraid of success? Who knows? But Nathan's dry, biting wit and charming objectivity is enabling me a little too well. Thanks, Annabelle. That was like really nice to get that. So thank you so much. 
Also, a welcome to all of the new Patreon subscribers over the past week. Thank you so much for signing up to be a patron and supporting the show. They're getting bonus episodes of Fifty Shades Darker each and every Friday for $3 a month. $3 a month US. So I think it's like two and a half pound if you're in the UK, about $4, maybe $4.50 if you're in Australia. Um, But that's, yeah, charged at the start of every month. And you get pretty much a free trial if you sign up after the charge date. So sign up now, you'll get a few weeks free, and then you'll be charged at the start of the next month. What a beautiful little setup Patreon is. And then you get your own RSS feed, you put that into your podcast platform, and it should just pull the new episodes automatically. Super simple, set and forget. And that's enough from me. So I'll see you guys next week. Bye. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations, and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at podbreakingdown and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks. You can visit www.breakingdownbadbooks.com for all the listen links, contact information, merch, and more. To support the show on Patreon and gain access to exclusive ad-free bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. Ratings and reviews on your preferred podcast platform are also a fun, free way to support the show. Breaking Down Bad Books is hosted by me, Nathan Brown, who you can follow on Instagram and Twitter at NathanBrown90. Thanks for listening and happy reading. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.